I think we all need to watch more TV. We got so many babies in this church. I think we're just busting at the seams. Um, it's not, I actually looked for, uh, that, Christy got that. Um, I actually looked for a good excuse to talk about mothers on Mother's Day. And I talked to some of our elders and said, hey, look, and they're like, yeah, that's not really our thing, man. And so like, we're not going to do Mother's Day. And it's going to be hard to swerve out of that ditch, but it's a big day, right? It's a big day. Jen, our pastor's wife, our lead guy's wife, Jen, the uh, spark plug that she is, is on one of America's largest stages today. Do you guys know where she is bringing the word? Saddleback Church, South Barrington. I'm, I'm not, sorry, Saddle, Willow Creek in South Barrington, Illinois. Probably the most influential evangelical pulpit of our generation, probably, in terms of its teaching the church how to be the church. She's there, so we could live stream her instead of watching me. That would probably be a lot more fun because she might do a mic drop, but we're not going to get a mic drop here. So what we're going to do is we're going to plow on into Matthew 12, because that's kind of how we roll. And I'll bring a few ideas together. And this is going to be a difficult one for me to get through. So I'm just going to let you know that. Um, We don't pick these verses and how we partition off these chapters in, in advance. Like I didn't know where we would be until last week. And so nobody's sitting back and saying, this is, I got this one, you get that one. So these things just kind of roll at us. And it just seems like I always say the same thing. Like, it's been a tough week sitting with this word because it's been deeply convicting me. And I guess, I guess that means that the word is actually being the mirror that the word needs to be for our soul. And so I hope that for you this morning that you see a little of your brokenness in this mirror because I've seen a whole snoot full of mine this week. So let me take you on that journey. Okay, so Matthew 12, we're going to be picking up in verse 1. The subject matter behind these next couple of scenes is the Sabbath, Right? It's a day of rest, and since it's Mother's Day, and mothers know so much about rest, I thought that'd be a great nexus. <laughs> the presenting issue today is the Sabbath, what you can and you, what you cannot do on that day that we call holy, right, that day that we set aside for God. Now, it's still very much, and if you've been tracking with us through this series, this is still very much Jesus establishing his authority. It's still very much a journey through the responses of the crowd to what are some of the ways that you could respond to this crazy rabbi who's totally off the rails now. Right, Because he's going to question probably the most cherished tradition of his day, which is Sabbath, or one of the most, certainly. We're in the thick of people's responses, and we're able, if you're able to read between the lines at all, you can sense that there's a dust-up coming, right? Texas language. Uh, if you're from the UK, there's a kerfuffle brewing, right? If you're from Kansas, it might be a showdown. If you're from Canada, it might be a face-off. If you're from Detroit, it's probably a slapdown. If you're from Mexico City, it's un tirito. If you're from Argentina, it's un arruende. If you're from Chihuahua, it's un, un mitote. Puerto Rico, it's un jaleo. Or Durango, it's un alboroto. That's just for fun. Something's brewing with the Pharisees. There's something coming. You can sense the tension between the verses. And as we wrap up our little section today, you're going to see death threats are their very next thing. So he's inhaling this, this ministry and exhaling authority. And they are inhaling anger and they're exhaling death threats. Okay? Matthew's readers at the time when he's writing were still trying to make sense of the way in which how could it be that this guy could be both God and man? And so we're in that middle and we're moving towards Peter's confession in Matthew 16, which is that golden gilded confession that says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet we're going to get there by paces and we're going to get there slowly. And it's not obvious to the crowd at the time that this guy was who they had actually been waiting for. It's like standing at the bus stop and the bus rolls up and it doesn't have your number on it. And so you wonder, right, is this the one, right? Or coming into Austin Airport in the middle of the night, you got your car parked in long-term parking, and you're supposed to be in B-lot. But if you're after midnight, any truck goes there. So they roll up and say A and C, and I always say, hey, and B? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So this is these guys waiting for a bus, not knowing if this is the bus. Waiting for the Messiah, the Christ bus, to set them free in the ways that they were hoping. And so they're still wondering, is this the guy? Two weeks ago, we talked about that very confusion in Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist. So Matthew's going to hold us in this tension. So let's pick up reading in chapter 12, verse 1. It'll be on the screen. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, this is powerful here, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that's a quote from Hosea 6, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now I have to point out the comical elements here. It's that Shakespearean training I have to point out the comic relief. These guys crack me up, right? Because isn't it interesting that you're not supposed to be traveling, but they noticed that he was traveling because apparently they were hanging with him and traveling with him, right? You're not supposed to be picking heads of grain because you're hungry. And these are like the guys, you remember when you were in youth group? These are the guys who say, hey, I noticed you don't close your eyes when you pray. (laughs) Like how in the world do you know that, right? Well, because you had your eyes, you get it? (laughs) Did did everybody get confronted by the youth group bully? You're... You need to, your worship doesn't have the passion it used to. Do you guys ever know anybody like that? They're all probably selling cars right now. Just saying, yeah, your eyes aren't closed when you're praying. Hey, your boys are picking grain when they're walking too far on the Sabbath. Isn't that funny? Let's look at a couple of interesting things about the Sabbath in the mind of Jesus' contemporaries. Now, at the time when Jesus comes along, there were 39 strict prohibitions that could not be done on the Sabbath. 39 things. You interested in what they are? These are really fun. And also very random. No sowing, as in scattering seed. No plowing. No reaping. No binding sheaves. We don't even know what that is. No threshing. No winnowing. No winnowing, Brett. No winnowing. No sorting, grinding, sifting, kneading. Baking. No shearing wool. No whitening it. That's important because I, you know, everybody does that. No combing it. No dyeing it. No spinning. No weaving. Watch this. No making two loops. I guess you could make one. No making two loops. No weaving two threads. No separating two threads. No tying a knot. No untying a knot. So you better like the shoes you put on on Thursday because you're going to have them on until Saturday night. Because you can't untie that knot. You can't tie it if you have your shoes off. This is strange stuff. No sewing two stitches. No tearing for the purpose of sewing two stitches. I just would love to know how that evolved. Hey, don't tear that because then you've got to sew two stitches. You can't do either one on the Sabbath. Isn't that fascinating? I don't mean to be making light, but it's kind of weird. This is going to kill us. Who's got a lease in here? Who's got a lease? That's Texas language for a place where you go and spend money and live in a trailer with a big screen TV and occasionally get a chance to take a shot at a deer that's way, way too expensive. Watch this. You ready for this, Drew? No hunting a deer on the Sabbath. So elk are good. Bear, that's, that's all good, I guess. No hunting a deer, no slaughtering it, no skinning it, no salting it, no curing its hide, no scraping it, no cutting it, no writing two letters, no erasing for the purpose of writing two letters. I'm sorry. I just had to read this to you because it's just crazy. No building, no demolishing, no extinguishing a flame, no lighting a flame. 
So if you don't light a flame, I guess you don't have to extinguish it. But if your house is on fire, I guess you're in big trouble. No striking with a hammer. You shouldn't discipline your kids that way anyway, the Bible says. And no carrying from one domain to another. Okay, so, yeah. Don't even know what to say about all that. Some of that stuff is just plain bizarre. So these were the prohibitions, the rabbinical prohibitions on the Sabbath. These are things you couldn't do. Don't erase for the purpose of writing two letters. Don't tie with two loops. Don't put out the fire you didn't start because you can't do either. Let me ask you, if that was the idea of Sabbath and the things you could not do, what, is, what are we really talking about here? What is the purpose of the Sabbath? We like to chat, do call and response at ANC, so this is your chance. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Talk to me. What's that? Ceasing. What's that mean in common language? Stopping your normal life. Good. Who else? Somebody said something and they got embarrassed. Rest. Worship? Yep. Rest, worship, stopping what you're doing. What else? What's that? Reflection. Very good. Anybody else? Middle section is totally stumped. Come on, middle section. What's that? Hanging with family. These are the purposes of the Sabbath. Anyone else want to add to that? Go ahead. Reset for the week ahead. Very well. Somebody said be present. Who said that? Of course you did. Dang. She's going to get up in my kitchen. Here's the deal. Sabbath is a big idea. Do you remember what Jesus, what, what God did on the seventh day according to the Genesis? He rested, right? You remember the, the, in the Ten Commandments, if we had to boil this whole living with God thing down to ten ideas, this made the top ten list. This made the Food Network star, network, the next star list, right? Here's the deal. Sabbath is a gift. Jesus is speaking to people who had under, come to understand this as a very tedious high bar that they had to be very careful to, to achieve. And Jesus, I think, is going to take us back to the idea. Sabbath is a gift. It's a time to enjoy God and a time to enjoy him and those that we live with, those that we love. And it's a time to give both those we love and God our undivided attention. Undivided attention. That's the rub, right? Anybody good at that in here? Let me repeat that for those who weren't listening. Uh, undivided attention. Anybody good at that? To make resting in the presence of God a focus of intense religious scrutiny, as was happening by those around Jesus at the time, is an adventure in missing the point altogether, right? If, if obeying the Lord, is command, his command to rest becomes a list, a way that we make lists of insiders and outsiders, we have completely missed the original design. And I think this is what Jesus is going to argue. Once again, we see Jesus making a much bigger idea about the heart and what you bring to the issue than the dogma and the, and, and the issue itself. Remember, this is important because it's easy for us to make caricatures of these guys and say they're so dumb and we, we don't get them. Remember, the law was given not as a basis of nationalism or as a, as a way to exclude those who weren't Jewish or those who were outside of this. From the very beginning, the revelation of God to, Moses, or to, to Abraham was to make a covenant with all nations so that you guys would be a lamppost to all nations, right? This was never designed to be a list of regulations. It was designed to be a description of a better way to live. A better way to live. A smarter way to live. A way that all nations could observe how God's people live. It's the best way to live to take a day of the week and say, not today. It's not a religious obligation. It's not this thing that if you take, you know, if you walk 10 feet, but 12 feet would be too far. You can tie one loop, but not two. You can, you can uh, uh, I guess you could skin a horse but not a deer, misses the point completely. This is a better way to live if we can sit with the teachings of Jesus. 
Again, remember, it's about establishing his authority, right? And any rabbi who sets himself up to say, here's what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, is putting themselves in a place of real authority. He's going to say, Jesus is going to go on to say, it's the devotion, but it's the object of the devotion that matters most, right? Because if you, get, if you take this stuff to the level that these guys had taken this stuff, it becomes a way to draw little circles where these people are in and these people are out because they crossed the line here. They walked too far. God forbid he pick a head of grain and eat it if his disciples are hungry. Matt Redmond said, I don't know if you know who Matt Redmond is, but he says, I'm going back to the heart of worship. It's all about you, right? It's the object of our devotion, not the mechanism of our devotion that matters most. So we've got three scenarios that Jesus gives us when questioned on this. Number one, we've got the, the, the disciples harvesting a bit of wheat as they walked on the Sabbath. Number two, he talks about David and the time where David and his men went to Ahimelech, the, the high priest, and they took the consecrated bread and they ate it because they were starving. You'd have to know the story in 1 Samuel 21 to know what's going on. But David at the time was anointed king but wasn't yet king. Saul was still on the throne. David was waiting for that moment of coronation. David usurps that role of priest and says, feed me that bread because my men are starving. And interestingly enough, the Israelite nation did not condemn him for that because he was that prototype of leader, priest, king, right? He was that guy. Jesus compares himself to David, and this is where I think the dander, this is where the back gets up on some of these guys. They're like, wait, you touched David? No, you didn't. No, you didn't, right? You get the idea. Number one, disciples harvesting inappropriately on the Sabbath. Two, David going into the, or having the, that, that consecrated bread served to him and his men. And number three, in this, in this passage, we read that priests serving before the Lord in the temple. Did you know that it was technically a gross violation of the Sabbath rules for a priest to do what a priest had to do in the temple on the Sabbath? Because it was cutting and skinning and ripping and hauling and moving one thing from one place to another. And yet somehow those guys had a dispensation. That's okay because you're a priest. So what Jesus is picking at is the loopholes, right? This is the weak spots in this, in this granular interpretation of the Sabbath. He's going to pick it apart. I feel like he's making a couple of points. Number one, he's saying, if David could do it, so can I. And this is where the crowd starts to get rowdy. Number two, he's saying when compliance is ridiculous, when it's just plain silly, it misses the point and it's not binding. Because it ceases to be about the better way to live and becomes an arbitrary way of drawing circles with insiders and outsiders. That's our hopeless obsession, isn't it? That's what we do, isn't it? Well, we're not like them or they're not like us. Well, they do go to church on Saturday and we do this on Sunday. And it's an arbitrary way because it'll change over time for us to draw circles and to feel good about ourselves. Okay. Before we move on, let's talk about the purpose of Sabbath. And this is where it gets really tough for me because I wish it was just something, a list of things we could and couldn't do. It would make it so much easier. Number one, I think the Sabbath is about resting. Obviously. Resting from what? Well, from work, from productivity, perhaps most importantly, from religious performance. It's about resting from pretending. And number two, it's about paying attention. I'll say that again. Paying attention. To what? To God, to family, to self, to our story. Jesus is essentially saying, you guys have missed the point on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about resting and paying attention. Does that sound like good news to you? Or does that sound like something that's so far to, hard to conceive and actually do that you just rather move on? Get back to work. You get it. In Exodus, God talks, well, Moses preserves for us in writing how it is that the Sabbath was a holy day. It was 
designed to be done. Nothing else was to be done on the Sabbath. In fact, it was punishable by death, a Sabbath violation. Did you know that? That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Oh, you tied two loops. That's it, buddy. You're gone. Wait, you cut two stitches for the purpose of sewing two stitches? Out with you. I get your bedroom. Can I have your GoPro? (laughs) That's a joke in our house. One of my daughters had to go back to, she's swimming again now, and she says that her first practice was death. I said, well, can I have your GoPro? She says, not, not that kind of death, Dad. In Exodus, it's a, it's a, it's a punishable by death violation. In Deuteronomy, the, the, the author talks about how the, the, the idea of the Sabbath, and even in the way we consecrate that and live that out in meals as a way to commemorate the fact that we were slaves in Egypt, that God miraculously released us from that bondage. So it's the story, right? The bottom line is Sabbath is a gift because it's a break. It's a break. And before we make these Pharisees into cartoons, let's be honest and let me lead, lead you in, this, in these reflections. Speaking personally, rest is extremely stressful for me. That's ironic, isn't it? Rest is hard work, isn't it? Does anybody else share that or is it just me? Is it me, Zeke, or is it everybody? To make a plan to rest? Yeah, we've got to get a plan together. We've got to have a checklist, and on my checklist is rest. You just blew the rest for me because there's a checklist. Done. Over. What's next, right? Rest is hard work. It's stressful. I have a very hard time being intentionally nonproductive. Does anybody else want to sort of half raise their hand so nobody's looking? Uh-huh. This is, we can confess this. Go ahead. I have a hard time being intentionally nonproductive because the spirit of Sabbath is to say, I will on purpose do nothing today. I'm going to get nowhere today on purpose. That's so anti-American, Right? We carved this little world out in the back 40 of the prairies in these uninhabitable places like Minnesota, right? Some friends from Minnesota today. Uninhabitable, windswept wastelands of freezing cold for nine months out of the year. We live here because we work and we make this stuff work because we're Americans and we have that expectation of ourselves. We call it, a, we call it American exceptionalism. What a wonderful term. Growing up out of the country, I never liked that term. Sorry. It's stressful. It's hard work. The work week for me is a kind of hamster wheel, and so is the weekend. So where's the Sabbath? Pastors don't rest on Sundays. You know that, right? So the work week is a hamster wheel. So is the Sabbath. So is religion. And if we're not careful, so is devotion to God. It just becomes just an extension of that hamster wheel. If we're not careful, even our vacations that we save all year for, and we go so far away to, 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 to get to these out-of-way locations, even those are stressful because those are full of work, right? Because I got to get 18 holes in today, and I got to do this thing, and I got to do that thing, and we got to get in line early to zip line, and before you know it, you're sweating, and you're on vacation, and we are just running in the red zone. It's going to get worse. Rest isn't easy, but paying attention is harder. It's just me, isn't it? I'm sitting here all alone. Everybody else gets this but me. Let me say it this way. Paying attention is virtually impossible for me. I don't know why God gave me the mind. He gave me the brain. He gave me, but it is a nonstop, unstoppable random flow of ridiculously random things. And it never shuts off. And that grinding you hear, that's my head turning because it never stops. I don't even know how to talk about this subject, to be honest. There's so many layers of shame related to me to my own inability to focus and pay attention. See, they didn't have those categories, diagnosable categories that half of our kids suffer from. They didn't have those in the 70s. Our parents didn't know this stuff, right? We had no idea what was going on in the head. All, all we got was discipline. We got structure. We didn't get anything in terms of helping us understand. 
that paying attention for some of us is chemically almost impossible. And yet the Holy Spirit is, is I think, speaking to us today, and certainly the, the weight of Scripture throughout the, the centuries that we've held this witness of God is telling us, you must rest. You need to rest. I'm starting to question, I'm 42, and I'm starting to question the systems that got me here in life because I have engineered masterful, masterfully designed systems to cover the fact that it's virtually impossible for me to focus long on anything. I got through grad school, magna cum laude, top of class. Got all the way through. You would think that I could focus on anything. You would think I could see the stitches on the fastball, but I'm not even in the game. I'm just up to play if I'm not careful. Okay, enough of that. Let's follow Jesus back to, these, uh, to this text because he's going to add, as he's been doing in Matthew, he's going to add one more image that's going to help us see one more, one more piece of this. So let's pick back up in verse 9. Going on from that place, he went, on, he went into their synagogue, verse 10, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. Now, this is the dust-up that's about to happen, right? They're looking for any reason to be able to condemn him legally. They ask him, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Bless you. Jesus said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Instinctively, they go right to the heart of the matter, don't they? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Help me understand, what in the world is so evil that would make them so angry that they would want to kill a man for doing good on a holy day? The authority that he's expressing. What had he done by defining what's legit and, not legit on, and, and isn't legit on the Sabbath? What had he done? He what? He showed them love, but what, what had he effectively done? He usurped, he completely undermined their authority structure, didn't he? Everybody knew of that group of players who were the interpreters of Sabbath, and it wasn't this crazy man from Nazareth, was it? Of course they did. They love the control. They want to be the ones to say what you can and can't do. To them, I guess, healing somebody who, with a shriveled hand would have been a violation of Sabbath. Now, had this person been on the verge of death, maybe that would have been excusable. But he clearly wasn't. He had a shriveled hand, and Jesus takes the, takes the authority and says, I'm going to do this thing. Bottom line, now listen to this. Tracking back to what we've read today. Feeding the hungry, think of the disciples, or David. Receiving worship of the people. Showing kindness to creatures and creation and healing broken people were all things that mattered more than some strict interpretation of ritual regarding the Sabbath. You see how the heart of God is coming through here. It's pushing right through the law, and it's going to redefine the whole thing, isn't it? The Sabbath was about rest, about joy, about enjoyment of one another, the wasteful and otherwise completely purposeless expenditure of time on God and others. Nothing to be gained, just an extravagant outpouring of time on others. It was about pausing and paying attention to God. Jesus was, to quote Don Henley, trying to get down to the heart of the matter, wasn't he? How about that? Matt Redman and Don Henley in one sermon. I think those guys should start a band. You guys have no idea who Matt Redman is, but everybody knows who Don Henley is, right? Yeah. And there you have it. The redefinition. He's, he's recasting the die, isn't he? Here's my struggle with rest and with paying attention. Number one, it forces me to stop earning my keep. 
And if you just allow me to earn my keep, I will be okay. But when I'm forced into these spaces by Jesus that says there's no keep to be earned, there's nothing to be proven, there's nothing to be lost, there's nothing to be gained, I'm completely undone. This is why Sabbath is hard. This is why we work on the Sabbath. This is why we never slow down. Because to slow down and say, I'm just going to enjoy the fruit of my labor means getting my head in the game and learning to rest in what we've already accomplished without worrying about that next magical thing. And that's difficult. Number two, it it forces me to focus on the ones I love. Isn't that ironic? They're right there under your nose. And sometimes we can focus on every other thing. Number three, it forces me to remember that my deliverance was entirely a gift. I was a slave in Egypt. I was helpless in that place of addiction and brokenness. And I didn't save me. I didn't pick me. I didn't save me. I didn't pull me out. I didn't walk me through the open seas that swallowed my adversary. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't sustain myself in the desert. I didn't do any of it. And that weekly reminder literally re schools the soul, doesn't it? If we let it. But in addition to teaching us about some of the moving parts of Sabbath, I think Jesus is making a bigger point here. Now watch, this is key. Every form of worship, everything we do in response to him, everything we do to earn and keep his attention falls away when he is present. Everything we attach to it, everything we make of it, everything we glue to it to make it hold up our system of faith, our system of belief, everything falls away when Jesus is present. There is no duty when Jesus is on the scene. The big claim I think that Matthew's making in verse six is something greater than the temple is here. And this is what Jesus tells the Pharisees that say, hey, you, you, you guys can't be doing that. Jesus says, there's something bigger than all of that. There's something bigger here. He's saying, I'm here. Something greater than the scaffolding that we've put around our faith is present when we gather. Even when we gather on days like today, in places like this, God is here, Right? A God who feeds the hungry, a God who receives worship from the faithful and the broken, a God who shows kindness to all of his creation, and a God who heals the sick people is here when we gather. And let's never confuse the point. Our God is not the Bible. Our God is not the church. Our God is not the things that we've done to this. Our God is not the ways in which we come about doing what we do. Our God is present when we are together, and that is the point. And for this provocative revelation, Jesus is receiving plots to kill him. Fascinating. Verse 7 says, I want mercy instead of sacrifice. And it's a quote from Hosea 6 where Jesus says, I don't desire the trappings of your religiosity and your attention to detail to get all the little T's crossed and the I's dotted. I don't want any of that. I want your heart. I want mercy. I want you to show mercy to the broken and to the foreigner and to the guests among you. That's what I desire. I wrote this idea down. I don't know if this means anything to you, but it meant something to me this week. And this is maybe, probably is the most egregious and and terrifying feature of organized religion is this. It condemns the innocent. It condones the performers and the pretenders, and it misses the true presence of God among the broken. And this is why even within the organized church, we have to struggle against that DNA because the moment Jesus is extracted from the things we do, it celebrates performance, it overlooks the innocent, And it misses the fact that God is already among us, among the broken. Okay. The presence of Jesus is far greater than anything we have ever done about it, anything we have ever built as a result of it, anything we've ever said or written. The actual presence of Jesus is bigger than all of that. The world doesn't need more faith in religion. It doesn't, it's not going to work. What the world needs is more Jesus. 
Austin doesn't need more churches. Austin needs more Jesus. I don't know where you are today in your journey of faith. I don't know if all the do's and the don'ts have kept you away from church, which isn't the same thing as being away from Jesus, but I don't, I don't know if the lists of regs and all the stuff and the things we do and don't do have kept you away. I don't know if that's your case. What I can tell you today is that Jesus has a light load for you. He's got a light load for you. Matthew wraps up chapter 11 in verse 28 with these words, and Brandon talked about this last week a little bit. In light of the crushing expectation of the crowd, the obvious response of the religious establishment that says, this guy is a demon, Jesus is looking at those who are hearing, and he's saying, listen to me, listen clearly. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls the universal cry of all humanity. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You think this crowd didn't know the religious expectations? You don't think the outsiders knew they were outsiders? You don't think those who were, who were living in violation of the law or all of this, you, you don't think they knew? Boy, they knew. You bet they did. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, I got a different deal for you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Here's the thing. If you're anything like me, you need this word and you need rest. Rest from performance, from duty, from empty ritual. You know, it's interesting. We have all these systems that God has given us that help us know when we're living in the red zone, right? Fatigue, depression, despair, exhaustion, even physical sickness. These are all ways to tell us to pick our foot up off the pedal. Tragically, many of us learn to live in this adrenaline-enhanced state of unrealistic output because we're earning something we'll never gain. We're trying to earn our keep. And we live in that red zone. I'm, talking, I'm thinking about if you've got a fast car, it's got a red zone. If you don't, it probably doesn't. Save the red money on paint and who runs a minivan in the red zone, but whatever. I get a lot of gaff in Austin for driving a minivan, you know. We rented a Suburban recently to go to Denver, and I had less packing space in that big old Suburban than I do in my minivan, so y'all just... Brandon, right here with your big truck. I can get more stuff in my van. Anyway, red zone. Think about the dashboard. We live in this constant adrenaline-enhanced state of unrealistic output. We redline all the time, and it's all we know because this is the society that we live in. We're afraid to slow down, aren't we? We're afraid what that might mean. So we keep up the pace. And if there's, as if there's some magical milestone that we're going to pass someday that's going to make it all seem worth it, but we know it's not there because we've not seen it yet, and we're wearing ourselves out and we're medicated, and we're synthetically enhanced with stimulants to keep ourselves going because we're living in this space, and God would say there's a simpler way to do it. I don't know how bad your soul needs, needs this good news. I think it's good news. I hope it is. I know mine does. Boy, if there's anybody in the room who knows about living in constant exhaustion, it's moms, isn't it? Sun up to sundown, nonstop, never stops, does it? Our days are so long now when you've got family and you're going 14 directions and you've got this and it's just, I don't, moms know this. And boy, I just, I just think if we can figure out a way to create this principle in our lives, I think we would be so much better. Not that we would please God more, but we would live healthier. We would be healthier people, I guess is what I'm saying. Here's the amazing thing about that last quote in the end of chapter 11. You know, the use of the word yoke is intentional, and it implies work. You know what a yoke is for? Do you guys know what a yoke is for? 
The yoke is for an ox. You don't yoke up an ox when it's time to rest. You put him out to pasture, right? Jesus is saying, my burden for you, my yoke is light. Here's, here's the magical thing about living the way Jesus suggests. It still implies that work is getting done. Your life is still being changed. The world is still being changed through you. It's not that nothing's getting done. We're not talking about getting nothing done. We're talking about yoking up with Jesus, right? Where our biggest responsibility is to do the releasing, to do the letting go, to do the relying on him. It's not as if the invitation is to do nothing. No, no. We're talking about flipping the world on its head through a different principle, which says we release back to God all of that need to produce and sort of conjure up that approval because of our much work and our, and our heavy lifting. He does the work. And that's an easy yoke and that's a light burden. I want to end with this one little sweet story. I tried to ignore it all week. Honestly, I did. I, I, I'm not a big fan of jumping around in scripture and pulling something from Paul and grabbing something from Psalms and, and creating this thing where all these disparate pieces are connected. That's not how I like to, I like to dig into a passage and I like to bring the actors in the landscape to the fore. That's kind of how I like to, to do it. But I resisted all week. Yesterday, I finally gave in. There's a little story that means so much to me because to me, it's, it's, it embodies this whole struggle. It's found in, in, in the book of Luke chapter 10. And I hope this is for someone today. I hope you're hearing this invitation to let it go and release it and just be, right? Did you ever see that little thing? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Be still. Be. That's the movement, right? Luke 10, you know the story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. These were good friends of Jesus. Jesus had a, uh, she had a sister, her name was Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. She's my favorite person right there already. She's my favorite. Did I mention she was my favorite? Right, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she said, look, I can just see the huff. You guys, if you have daughters, you know what huffs and she was rolling her eyes. Mary was rolling her eyes, I'm telling you. It's not there, but it's in the Greek. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, can you imagine talking to, the, to Jesus this way? Dude, I'm telling on my sister. Tell her to help me. I love this story. It's so real. I think we sterilize these things and make them so, I think it's real stuff. What does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, the Lord answers. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. You know, the use of Martha's name twice, do you, do you, do you know why he uses her name twice? Anybody? Any linguistic, linguistic scholars in here? Why would Jesus use her name twice? That's a soft and endearing approach, right? Martha, Martha. Oh, Martha. And this is my Jesus. He's sweet on both sides. He's sweet and he's easy on the worker and the worshiper. And he's moving us in that direction to release and say, there's just one thing that matters right now. And that's to pay attention and to rest. So I don't know what your Mother's Day plans are. If you're going to go golf 18 and I don't know, do something productive. I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit take that word and apply it to your soul. Here's what I know. We, we need this. We celebrate the fact that we don't ever have this. Ask somebody. Just try it. Ask them. What are you up to? 
they're going to read off the whole list of amazing things they're accomplishing as if to say, see, I'm worth something, aren't I? Let's pray.